morning. I want to welcome you back to our series that we're calling No Offense. We are learning how to become unoffendable. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you, be able to, wouldn't you love to be able to go through life and be unoffendable? Maybe when you hear that term, you hear that phrase, you think about, uh, it makes you think of having a superpower. Can you imagine being unoffendable? Or maybe it makes you think of being bulletproof. Or maybe it's on the other side of that. You're like, there's no way someone could be unoffendable unless they're like a, a Terminator robot or something with no feelings, a callous, cold heart. Otherwise, that's impossible. That's not really how we're looking at the word undefendable. It's not really the goal that you would have a cold, callous, hard heart. I don't think that's who Jesus wants us to be. When we talk about being unoffendable, it's, uh, it's more about understanding that, yes, being offended is unavoidable. That's going to happen in life. But living unoffended, or living offended, rather, if you go through life and you just choose to be offended, like live in that tension, live in that anger, live in that offense, that is a choice. We don't have to do that. We don't have to hang on to it. We don't have to hold on and, and let it ruin our day. We don't have to let these things in life ruin our relationships or our everyday lives. We are learning how to handle, get rid of our anger quickly so it doesn't ruin our day, so it doesn't ruin relationships in our lives, so it doesn't ruin our testimony of being a follower of Jesus. So each week what I'm doing is giving away this book. It's called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. I would recommend that you buy the book. Uh, I've read through what I, what I really appreciate uh, most. About half the book is really kind of focused on this idea of uh, learning how to be unoffendable. But then it switches about halfway through uh, to just really being gospel-centered and how having a, a gospel-centered understanding of yourself and others and, and, and life itself really, really helps with this idea of being unoffended. So uh, I'm going to give this away to the married couple who's been married the shortest amount of time. So who in the room would say, think they might be married the shortest amount of time? Let's go with 10 years. Anybody married 10 years or less? Less than 10 years. Less than 10. Anybody less than 10 years besides Shady and Ty? Anybody? Okay, you get the book. You, and here's, what, here's the thing. People in the room who have been married a long time, I bet a lot of them are thinking, I wish I had that book when, I was, when we were married back five years, uh, 10 years or whatever. So enjoy the book. We'll give one away each week. But uh, obviously, I can't give everybody a book. Grab the book on Amazon or ChristianBook.com uh, or whatever, okay? Last week, we looked at James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Remember this? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. And what I was hoping and praying over even this week is that you, I know I did, uh, hopefully you also prayed that God would help strengthen you in whichever one of those three uh, you find weakness in. Because it's, it's probably likely that one of those three you struggle with, one of those three I struggle with. 
uh, whether it is uh, being quick to listen to others rather than just blurt out what we think, uh, slow to speak or, or slow to become angry. So hopefully you've been praying over that, that God would help you uh, in one of those three or perhaps all three of those. But this morning what I'd like to do is build on that. I think that's a really good foundational place to start, but I'd like to build on it as we learn from God's Word how we can become un. Offendable, And we're going to go to Ephesians, but before we do, I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me. Lord, please help us this morning as we look into your word that you would quiet our minds, quiet our hearts before you humble us, uh, remind us that you are God and we are not, and help us, Lord, have an understanding of your word in such a way that we would have a desire to apply it, a desire to follow you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me in Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 is where we're going to start. Ephesians 4, 26. If you're taking notes this morning, you maybe got a paper copy. You can certainly use the digital notes that you find on our website. Uh, the main passages that we're going to look at are on there. Uh, you have a Bible in front of you if you don't have one, or maybe you forgot yours this morning. Ephesians 4, 26, and I'm just going to warn you up front like I warned you last week that this is one of those hard-to-hear passages from God's Word. In fact, this passage of Scripture may offend you. Here's the thing. When God's Word offends us, it is because we want to sit on the throne that God sits on. That's why it offends us, because we don't like it, because we think we know better than God. God's word is not a pick and choose what you like, assign your own truth and meaning as you see fit book. And I think that is what most people who find offense with God's word, I think that's probably why. Because they, they, don't, they want to sit on the throne that God sits on. They, they, want, they, they think they know better than God and they want to be able to pick and choose what they think is is best. So just know that if, if we find ourselves being offended by the word of God, we're the ones with the problem, not God. Does that make sense? If, however, you and I are willing to concede that God is God and that we are not, if we're willing to concede that truth, I think this passage from God's word this morning is going to be super helpful, even if it's hard to hear. And I would summarize the entire passage that we're going to look at. We have several verses that we're going to look at in this chapter. I would summarize it this way, that being offended is unavoidable, but living offended, that is a choice. And I want to unpack this passage together. I just think there's some really incredible truths to help us on our way to becoming unoffendable. Here we go. Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 26. If I can find it. I have my glasses on this morning, so things are looking a little bit different to me. Uh, here we go. Oh, here, I got it. Verse 25 talks about stop telling lies, tell your neighbors the truth. Verse 26, don't sin by letting anger control you. Let's just pause on that for a moment. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. If you have an NIV in your lap, 
It's phrased this way, in your anger, do not sin. And this is a classic example of why it's really, really important that we're reading the Bible, when we're reading God's Word, that we read every verse in its context, that we make sure that we understand the context of the chapter, the the book that it's contained in, and in view of the rest of Scripture. Otherwise, we have a a high likelihood that we may apply uh, a verse, apply a meaning to a verse or a conclusion to a verse incorrectly uh, or have an incomplete meaning from one particular verse. This is a classic example of that because if you just take that phrase, in your anger do not sin, you you take it as a standalone uh, by itself, it seems to imply that being angry, holding on to anger is totally fine. Just don't go out and murder people or drop F-bombs on people. That's fine as long as you you can hang on to your anger, uh, as long as you don't let the emotion of anger uh, act out in some sinful way. Just, Just keep your anger on a slow, low simmer. Uh, Just don't let it boil over, and then anger's not a problem. Stand alone, that's what it sounds like. It's what it sounds like it implies. But that's not what this verse is teaching in context with the whole passage. In fact, in the rest of that verse, verse 26, don't sin by letting your anger control you. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's, it's not implying. It's directly saying you need to deal with your anger, get rid of your anger, before the day is done. Later on, it'll, it, it tells us directly in verse 31, get rid of, and then it gives all these different forms that anger can come in, rage, it says anger, harsh words, slander, and so forth. We are to get rid of all forms of anger. In your anger, do not sin. That phrase is a recognition that being offended is unavoidable. We're going to experience the emotion of anger in life. We are going to experience frustration in life. People are going to say things that hurt your feelings. People are going to let us down. They said they were going to do this, and they didn't do it. They said they were going to be on time, and they weren't. There are going to be times when people let us down. People are going to fall short of God's standards, People sometimes fall short of our standards that maybe we have in life of how we think life should be done and what we believe common courtesy is and so forth. Those those things are going to happen in life. And this verse recognizes that being offended is unavoidable. But the passage as a whole is going to teach us that we need to handle the anger, that we need to deal with the offense, get rid of the anger as quickly as possible, that we should not live our lives in a state of anger, that we should not live our lives in a constant state of offense. Why? Well, last week we we learned anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires for us. Anger doesn't make life better. Anger is not going to make your marriage stronger. Anger is not something that's going uh, to, to produce peace and joy in our everyday lives. It just doesn't do that. 
fact, if you look at verse 27, it says that holding on to anger, that's what gives the devil a foothold in our lives. The word foothold there literally means a place or a room in our hearts, in, in our minds that we, that we hand over the keys to the, the devil that he can set up shop and, and work against us. It would, be like giving, it would be like giving your unlocked phone or maybe your unlocked laptop to a, to a bad guy. He didn't steal it. He didn't hack into it. You just gave him the unlocked phone. You just gave him your unlocked laptop and, and he gets in there and he steals all your personal information. He, he ruins your credit. He puts viruses on your device. You let him mess up your life. And that's what holding on to anger does. It's like opening the front door and letting the devil set up shop in your heart, in your mind, so that he can get to work ruining your marriage, ruining relationships with your kids or with your friends or ruining things within the church family, ruining your testimony as a follower of Jesus. Paul says, don't, don't let anger uh, hang out in your life because you're just opening the door for the devil to get in there and do work in your mind, in your heart that's going to harm us. I think the most common way that the devil attacks us in just a daily basis kind of way is to convince us that we have the right to stay angry. Because our anger is righteous, right? Our anger is, is justified. I have a really good reason to be angry, and I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to give it a place to stay for a while. But letting anger stay for a while is kind of like letting an unrepentant career criminal stay in our home for an indefinite amount of time. And then we're surprised that, that he stole from us. We're surprised that he buried bodies in our backyard. Or we're surprised that he let the toilet seat up. Well, he's an unrepentant career criminal. What did you expect was going to happen when you let him hang out in your house for a while? We have to remember that, that anger is a destructive force. It's not a life-giving force. And we don't, we don't describe, sometimes we're quick to justify ourselves, I have the right to hang on to this, and I've got righteous anger, I'm going to hang on to it, and it's going to motivate me. We don't describe other destructive forces like greed, or lust, or gluttony as being righteous, as, as long as it's in certain circumstances, I can have righteous gluttony. You know, I'm, I'm already at the all-you-can-eat buffet, I, have right, I can have righteous, someone made the food, I don't want to offend them and not eat all of it. Making, making excuses for hanging on to anger, it's not going to result in the righteous life that God desires for us. And I think this is why Paul gives this instruction. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal with your anger the same day that you experience it. One time, uh, Angie, my wife and I, Angie, we, we were really angry at each other. And it doesn't matter over what, oh my, what was, the, what was the fight you had? It doesn't matter. It's not your business. 
It was probably something like too many couch pillows or cleaning my shoes in the kitchen sink. My wife hates when I clean my shoes in the kitchen sink for some reason. I don't get it, but whatever. Anyway, whatever it was, we were really angry at each other. But we agreed when we first got married that we would not go to sleep with unresolved anger towards each other. And so we didn't sleep for three days. I'm kidding about that. Uh, but, but Angie and I, since we first got married, we, we do live by that commitment. We have a commitment in our marriage that we will resolve our conflicts. And yes, the pastor and his wife get angry at each other sometimes. And, and we don't always see eye to eye. And there's conflict. But we've made a commitment that we're going to resolve that. And we're not going to go to sleep angry. Before the day is done, we're going to work it out. But this is not just a marriage, that's great advice for your marriage, but it's not just a marriage-specific instruction. This is an anger-in-general instruction, that anger needs to be dealt with, that we need to get rid of it the same day we experience it. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's a few ways we do that. We either have to let it go, forgive, let it go, and, and move on. Or, if we're not able to do that, then we need to work towards reconciliation with whoever it is that relationship damage uh, involves. And you're like, well, what if the person won't talk to me? They're mad at me and they won't talk to me. Well, that happens sometimes. Maybe, maybe there's not a, it's not a possibility that it will be resolved the same day, and it's not because you don't want to. It's because the other person doesn't want to talk to you or the other person... Uh, says, well, well, we'll talk about it when I cool down. Whatever. There's a principle in, in the Bible. Is, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We, we need to, as far as it depends on us, let's make the effort. We can't control what other people do, but we need to make the effort to deal with it the same day. And most of the time, honestly, most of the things in life that we get offended by and that irritate us or frustrate us, most of those things... Uh, we just need to let it go, forgive, uh, look over the offense, and, and, and move on. Verse 29, look at verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Now remember the, the context here. Don't, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The NIV says, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do you hear some of those key words? Helpful, building other people up, benefiting those not unwholesome. Now, the word unwholesome is an interesting word. You, you may want to assign your own standard uh, of what unwholesome means. You're like, bathroom humor is a sin. I'm telling you, it's a stop doing it, whatever. The context of the word here is about using words that hurt other people, words that are unhealthy, words that are unhelpful, especially when we experience anger. When we experience anger... 
we still are responsible to make sure that the words that come out of our mouths are only words that will benefit others, that are only words that will build other people up. Just because you're angry doesn't give you and I an excuse to just blurt out whatever's on our minds, just blurt out angry, hurtful things. It's not okay. How, how attractive would our faith in Jesus be if we genuinely let the Holy Spirit transform our speech? Pretty attractive, I would imagine. How pleasant and fun would you and I be to, to, to just be around if we let the Holy Spirit transform our words from things that were unwholesome, unhelpful, to things that were always beneficial. And, and, and the only thing that ever came out of our mouths were things that built other people up and benefited them and encouraged them. We'd be a lot of fun to be around. Being, un, being offended, rather, is unavoidable, but living offended, no, that, that is a choice. And instead of holding on to anger, instead of giving the devil a space in your head, a space, a room in your heart to work against you, what does verse 31 say? Verse 31 says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of the harsh words. Get rid of the slander, right? Talking about people negatively behind their backs, right? Instead of all of that, because you want to tell the story, you want everyone to know what this person did or said that offended you, right? Just quit it. Get rid of it. As well of, as, well as all types of evil, you hear that word? Evil behavior. Anger's in that list. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. As quickly as as possible. And then look at verse 32. It goes with it. Verse 32 says, instead, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the standard of forgiveness. You ready? Don't gloss over it. Don't skip it. It's hard to hear, but we need to hear it. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is the standard of forgiveness, the cross of Jesus Christ. As quickly as possible, get rid of it, be forgiving, be kind, compassionate. Forgive like God forgave us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I really believe that the gospel truth, this gospel truth here in verse 32, I, I think that's what we need to preach to ourselves. If we want to become unoffendable, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Especially with those highly offensive people in our lives. Those people who are always right about everything. They know everything about everything. They know how things should be done at church. They know how you and I should spend and save our money. They know how we should raise our kids. They know how we should spend our time. They know how to fix the government. All of their ideas are genius, and all our ideas are stupid. A highly offensive person lives the opposite of 
what James instructed, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. They live the opposite of that. The highly offensive person is is condescending and and arrogant and prideful. They live out the opposite of love in 1 Corinthians 13, of, of being patient and kind and not rude, not self-centered, not easily angered. We all know at least one highly offensive person. If you're like, I don't know if I do. It's probably you. If, if, you, don't, if you don't know one, maybe it's you. We all have highly offensive people in our lives, but if we preach the gospel of Jesus to ourselves on a daily basis, if we, if we remember that God expects us to forgive others the way that He demonstrated love and forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ on the cross, then we can learn to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. We can learn to become unoffendable, even with those who are highly offensive. I, I read this uh, somewhere. I, I think it's really good. Every, every minute that you and I spend in anger is a minute that we lose living in joy and peace in our lives. Every minute that we spend in anger is a minute that we lose in an opportunity to make a difference in the world. I thought that was really good. And being offended is unavoidable, but, but living, living offended, that's a choice. So here's my challenge to you this week. My challenge is go back and read that passage from, from James that we looked at last week and uh, read through this passage, the whole chapter. Just read the whole chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. Read the whole chapter in one sitting. Just read, read James uh, James chapter 1, read Ephesians chapter 4 in one, in one sitting. And after you read it, I want to encourage you, challenge you to pray this prayer. Now it's in your notes, uh, so you can take it with you and you can pray this prayer from Psalm 139 after you read, read those passages. Here's the prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Here's the key. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we tend to be pretty quick and we're pretty good at finding offense in others, right? It's not hard for us to find shortcomings in other people. What if we spent a little bit more time asking God to reveal to us the shortcomings and the offenses in our own lives so that he can deal with those, so that he can, so that he can make us more like Jesus? Because if you and I are going to be, become more like Jesus through the power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, boy, we're going to get to being unoffendable a, a lot faster. Ask God this week to help you live what we're learning from his word. Ask Ask God to show any offensive tendencies, maybe in your own attitude, in your own words, and help you to change. Ask God to get rid of, to to pull out of your heart any anger that you have been giving space in your mind, space in your heart. Ask God to pull that out of your heart and mind. 
Let's ask God this week to help us become more like Jesus, help us to become unoffended.